That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. You're on the fighting for the gay disco. What? Are there are no slurs here. Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains, and the opposite is Definitely our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That's what they, that's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. Is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One big gay disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, and welcome to EMJ Live. It's another Friday afternoon. Uh, the apocalypse draws ever closer uh, over the horizon. Uh, and as a sign that uh, it's gotten even closer, we're going to talk about uh, the Trans Day of Vengeance. Tomorrow, get ready. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Now, uh, I'm going to uh, be honest with you. Until a week ago, I, I sort of understood what they were, but I didn't understand the true implication of what was going on here. This all changed. A week ago, uh, not this past Monday, but the Monday before that, when the United States bishops, to their credit, issued a statement condemning transgenderism uh, based on the gospel, uh, specifically Genesis. Can we go all the way back to the beginning here? When God first created uh, the human race, he created Adam, and then he st it states very specifically in Genesis, male and female, he created them. And the bishops showing that they are true, the American bishops showing that they are faithful to the gospel, have issued a statement reiterating that claim and condemning anything that goes against that claim. So any attempt to change the gender of uh, anyone, but, but particularly children, 
is a, a, a grievous offense against the nature, the natural order of the universe and should be resisted. It should not be tolerated at Catholic hospitals. This type of procedure is not medicine, it's mutilation. Okay, well, thank you, uh, bishops, for saying that. Uh, to show you that there was something else at work here, uh, there's an element of synchronicity. Uh, things happening at the same time, uh, which no one could have planned other than God. Uh, and I think this is precisely what happened on that Monday, because on that very Monday, when the bishop sits you the statement, Notre Dame University sponsored a conference, an online conference on transgenderism and abortion. Now, what do those two things have in common? Uh, well, if you watch the symposium, uh, the one thing they had in common was the mind of the main presenter at that symposium, which is a woman uh, who goes by the name of Ash Williams, which is probably not her real name. It's a fictional character. Uh, um, and it, it was a little bit ambiguous at the beginning because one of the distinguishing characteristics of Ash Williams is that she has a mustache. Uh, as a matter of fact, she has a beard. And uh, this is an indication that uh, she is now transitioning there. Whoever is treating her is shooting her up with testosterone. And as a result of that, she's uh, developing facial hair. Okay, so then she goes into, now this is a symposium at the University of Notre Dame that is sponsored by basically every single organization on campus and a few off of campus uh, in St. Joseph County. To, let, to have bring a woman in who has no academic credentials whatsoever, none. Now, this is a, a, a lady whose only credential is the fact that uh, National Public Radio did a story on her. And the story was that basically after Roe versus Wade uh, was struck down, she spent the entire summer trying to get people ha to have uh, abortions, facilitating abortions. And not only that, she uh, made sure that when the woman went into the abortion clinic to kill her child, uh, that the attendants used the right pronoun. Now, that was a mighty white of her. Oh, by she, she's black, by the way. So I guess it wasn't mighty white of her. But anyway, so what is going on here? Well, uh, the more we read, the more uh, uh, understandable the story becomes. Uh, it turns out that she had two abortions. Now, one of them, uh, the once uh, any woman does this, she is confronted with an existential choice. Okay, she has done something so abominable and so wrong, so grievously wrong, that she will bear this for the rest of her life. At this point, she has to make a decision. She either repents of what she did and tries to get back in in line with the order of creation by telling God she's sorry, or she can go in the opposite direction and she can make a cause out of her sin. And that's precisely what uh, this lady has done. She became an apostle for abortion. She was just uh, full of zeal the entire summer, uh, making sure that people would could be brought into clinics so that they could kill their children. And as some further indication of the irrationality of her belief. She kept repeating over and over again, 
abortion is birth. Abortion is birth. And the lady who is interviewing her, who's got uh, some professor from somewhere, doesn't say anything to contradict this. The lady keeps saying obsessively, abortion is birth. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the guilty conscience. Uh, you cannot repress the guilt. You can channel it, but you can't repress it. It's got to come out some way. This is what I call the Dimsdale syndrome because uh, the man, the genius, the literary genius who understood this was Nathaniel Hawthorne. And he talked about uh, the minister Dimsdale, who was a living saint because otherwise you couldn't be a member of the Puritan church. And he had committed adultery. So what do you do when you're a saint and you commit adultery? You have to express it in some way. And the three scaffold scenes in Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter express this the command. So you can either express it by repenting or in this instance, you express it by making it a sacred cause. And that's what Ash Williams did. Now, even that was not enough for this lady because she had to take it one step further and she had to stop being a woman. Unsex me. That's what Lady Macbeth said because uh, that's what had to happen to her before she could engage in murder. Well, this is after the fact. This lady has already engaged in murder, and now she's telling those doctors, unsex me. Turn me into a man, because a man cannot have abortion. Now, this is uh, a lady who needs uh, psychological help, but what's the connection between abortion and transgenderism? It's just what I said to you. It's in this lady's mind. It's the guilt that this lady feels over killing her own children is now going to be projected onto the world. First as abortion activism, and then now, which is the new phase that we are coming into, uh, transgender activism. Now, the Notre, Notre Dame uh, claims to be a Catholic university. They just deliberately contradicted what the American bishops have said. American bishops uh, uh, just said uh, on the same day. And not only that, they have already gone on record as saying, Notre Dame I'm talking about. Uh, this, this year there was a Holy Cross priest. The Holy Cross priests are the people who run Notre Dame. They are the people that are on the inner sanctum there determining policy at Notre Dame. And the Holy Cross priest by the name of Olinger basically said that the Notre, Notre Dame University has officially adopted the philosophy or the ideology of transgenderism. And if you're an incoming freshman, you better get with the program and you better start uh, using the right pronouns or, or what? Or what? What? Or this, this, this consequence here. Why is this so bad? Because this Holy Cross priest is giving these naive incoming freshmen the impression that if they do not go along with the ideology that the bishops have just condemned, that they're bad Catholics. That is exactly the type of pressure that gets exerted on these unfortunate uh, students at Notre Dame. It's worse than any secular university in the country because nobody at Harvard is going to say, uh, you, uh, uh, accuse you of violating some the, the Catholic faith. 
in the way that the Holy Cross priests do, if you don't go along with what is, by the bishop's own condemnation, a completely alien ideology that has no place being protected by anyone who calls himself a Christian. So there's a a huge amount of consciousness uh, arising uh, during this week. As I said, I knew what they were. I didn't realize they were that significant in the whole uh, zeitgeist as part of the program that you have to go along with. And then it's not even that. It took another quantum leap forward when um, a a lady, a 28-year-old lady by the name of Audrey Hall, shows up at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee with uh, automatic weapons and proceeds to kill six people, three of whom were children who were nine years of age. Now, who knew that this group of people were so violent? Nobody, as far as I know. I mean, you know, I remember the 80s when the homosexuals were acting up. That was the name of their organization, ACT UP, in uh, New York City, when they uh, tried to shut down Cardinal Rossinger, who was going to talk about homosexuality. This is, this is a big advance in terms of violence. But in a sense, if you think about it, it's only natural. Okay, why would transsexuals, in a sense, be more violent than homosexuals? Well, because the homosexual abuses his body, uh, but he doesn't change it. And so you have an exponential increase in violence against nature by people who think they are going to change their bodies when they can't. Now, in order to do this, we'll get back to, uh, you know, in order to do this, you have to take lots of drugs. And if you're a female, as Audrey was, you're going to have to take testosterone. And testosterone makes you violent, especially when you take uh, abnormal doses. Now, you add to that, let's, let's, we're talking about layer upon layer here. The first violence is the thing, violence that you're doing to nature by thinking you can change your being, which you can't, Okay. Then you proceed and you proceed down this road by making a willful decision to mutilate your body, which is preceded by taking lots of drugs. Uh, Testosterone, to give just one example. I'm not a pharmacist. Uh, I don't know what other drugs they take, but I know that that will cause that type of violent behavior. But then there's another layer as well. The other thing we're not allowed to talk about when it comes to school shootings is the connection between school shootings and SSRIs, selective serotonin receptor inhibitors uh, known by uh, the brand names of Prozac and Zoloft. People who take these things uh, have uh, an unexplicable tendency to violence either to themselves, suicide is rampant among this group of people, but apparently also to other people or maybe both. So you can do both. You can go out, get your gun. You can go out and shoot up a school and then you can kill yourself. Or if you're going into that situation, you probably will be killed by the police. So there's an element of suicidal thinking in this. Apparently, this is what Audrey was talking about. She knew that she was going to die probably in this thing and she wanted it anyway. 82%, I just saw the statistic, of the people who uh, 
go through the transgender deal and have suicidal thoughts. Is this surprising? Is this surprising when you basically, how many of these people, especially when they embark upon this road as children, like a 13-year-old who suddenly thinks he's hardly reached puberty and suddenly thinks he's in the wrong body, and then you have a whole cadre of medical frauds and quacks who are willing to mutilate this child for financial gain, uh, encouraging her, and then suddenly this child wakes up and says, gee, I, I don't think I should have done that. It's called regret. Look, if you have uh, can have buyer's remorse because you bought a car and now you realize you didn't like the car that you bought, what about uh, buyer's remorse when you have your body, body uh, let's say, uh, inexorably uh, mutilated? Then what? I can feel the violence already. This has violence written all over it, and that is precisely what has happened here. In an unprecedented fashion, the oligarchs who run our culture are now promoting not just transgenderism as the next phase after homosexuality, as the cutting edge of revolutionary thought, the cutting edge of the Jewish revolutionary spirit in our age. Uh, they are promoting uh, this, a sense of paranoia among these people and encouraging them to pick up weapons. This is unbelievable, but it was an NPR story uh, doing exactly this. The Amazon, which will ban you uh, in the, the wink of an eye if you say something about medicine they don't like or COVID. Uh, you can buy a t-shirt with uh, transgender something or other, and then something like revenge at the bottom or something like that, and then pictures of automatic rifles. Uh, on on your T-shirt, you can buy that. That's encouraging this type of violence. And uh, all of the usual people who come out and say how awful school shootings are, are suddenly silent here. Uh, most notably, the ADL. The ADL uh, hasn't said anything. I thought they were against gun violence, or is it only because uh, they're they're against gun violence when it's a synagogue, when a Jew gets shot? Goyim lives don't matter to the ADL. And this is an instance where there's no, the silence uh, emanating from that quarter is deafening. So it's, this is a, a program now. Uh, nothing stays the same. The trajectory that we embarked upon uh, as a culture when we got involved in social engineering after World War II, which morphed into the sexual revolution when the first issue was uh, was it divorce? Should we allow divorce? Should we allow contraception? Should we allow abortion? Should we allow homosexuals to get married? This is the trajectory. And it's continuing to move away from being, from practical reason, from anything you could call the good. And as it moves away, the farther it moves away from reality, from nature as God created, the more violent it becomes. So we have uh, this group of trans people storming the legislature uh, in Kentucky because Kentucky uh, is passing anti-trans uh, mut child mutilation bills, uh, uh, making it illegal to promote this ideology. There were people there who were claiming that this lady who is now dead uh, was justified in what she had done. 
because Tennessee had passed some type of legislation. Now we have uh, tomorrow, we have the Trans Day of Vengeance. Vengeance, this got changed. It, used to, it was originally visibility. Why did it get changed to vengeance? I don't know. Ask the people, the trans crowd. Uh, but it seems to me that you're just asking for more violence and the mainstream media are going along and fomenting this violence. The same suspects that gave us all of those aberrations in the past are behind this and is pushing toward some type of violent conclusion. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay, um, time for the part of the show where we take the questions from you. Uh, one second, guys. Let me see. All right. Yeah. Uh, the voice you're hearing is Mike Bajakis. I do the co-host for these shows here. Uh, for you, don't for those who don't know, on Cozy and our other platforms, uh, in the description will be a link to our Telegram where you can talk to Dr. Jones directly, ask him a question. Uh, for everyone in Telegram who's asking a question, uh, let's see. Uh, just come a couple rules for, you, for those who don't know. Uh, there are no paid super chats, which is nice. Try to keep the questions on subject. Try to keep to one question and be respectful of time. And then definitely do not forget to unmute yourself. We're getting better with that over time. Okay, to Telegram here. Let's see who's going to be first. Uh, G Boss, let me unmute you. Uh, go ahead. Can you hear us? Uh, good evening, Dr. Jones. Uh, I hear you guys loud and clear. Um, I just want to ask a question in regards to this uh, growing amount of violence that we're seeing from the uh, gay disco that uh, we're seeing here today. Um, in regards to the rising violence we're seeing, uh, is it? do you think that it could get to the same levels of insanity that were seen in the 1960s, especially with the weaponized leftism that was uh, very popular at the time. I, I know with like the, um, I think with like a lot of militant leftist groups that like grew in the 1960s and 70s, do you think we're, we're seeing a repeat, of, a repeat of that in the 2020s and moving forward? I, I lived through that. I, I remember sitting on a bar stool when I was 20 years old, drinking illegally, watching the uh, Chicago, um, riots at the Democratic Convention. This is much worse than that. <laughs> this is much worse. The, 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 wow. There's the intrinsic violence that's involved in the promotion of sodomy. The violence that does to the human body is enormous. And that violence has begotten the next wave of violence, which is the violence that gets imposed when you want to change that body. When you're involved in self-mutilation to change that body, you can't calculate. You well, let me say this is incalculable, but the point I'm trying to make here is it's not going to be contained either. It won't stay within those persons. That violence has to come out, and it's going to come out. It becomes intolerable. The violence they've done to themselves through sodomy, the violence they've done to themselves through transgenderism, will have to find some expression. If you repent, okay, that's good. That's good. That's finding expression. If you don't repent, it will drive you to either kill yourself or to kill someone else or to kill someone else and then kill yourself. So there is no comparison 
between what happened in the 60s and what is happening now, because what ha is happening now was based on the subversion of sexual morals that began in the 60s, and nothing stands still. The farther you get from reality, the more violence you're going to see. I That is a very good point. Um, it's kind of like the slippery slope um, type of uh, thinking. It, it does make sense, though, in terms of like the progression of the, the, the degeneracy we've seen in the 60s to now and all that. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Jones. I, I know I haven't been uh, thanking you very much, but always nice to hear your, your points of view on all these different things, especially with your old age and all that. But yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Thank you. Next we have, let's see, Goy Infidel. Go ahead. Hey, uh, Jones, I appreciate your show. Um, uh, my question is similar to the last one, except I want to take you back to the 1930s Germany in Berlin uh, with what was going on back then. Um, and is it fair to bring up the Jewish question within the transgender movement going that far back? Um, and it also helps me understand why the left, I think they're a little more knowledgeable than the right on world history. And I think that's part of why we get caught, we get caught up in being called Nazis, not that it's just a, a communist term to throw at us, but they, they, some of them are sick enough to think that we're actually Nazis for going against this whole thing. And uh, what can you uh, say in correlation to what's going on now with what happened in yeah. Berlin back then? There's a clear line of connection. First of all, the first transgender operation took place in Weimar, Germany during the 1920s. The man who was in charge of blurring the gender identity was a Jew by the name of Magnus Hirschfeld. And he created uh, an, the Institute for Sexualforschung, the Institute for Sexual Research, uh, which attracted uh, English homosexuals like Christopher Isherwood, uh, who, as soon as he got there, he realized this is a homosexual bordello. The science is just a front. It's a fraud. Uh, but he hung around anyway because he was a homosexual. And he liked the decadence that uh, he found in Germany during the 1920s. Uh, his book uh, eventually got made into a musical called Cabaret, if you want to watch that uh, take on the decadence of that country. Now, there was a reaction, and the reaction was National Socialism. Hitler could not have come to power if it weren't for the experience that Germany had had with the Jews at that point. He never could have attacked the Jews if he couldn't have linked them with this asocial behavior. The main source of asocial behavior, of course, was communism. And after World War I, the Jews uh, took over uh, cities like Munich and Berlin. They created the Soviet Republic of Bavaria, and it was the Catholics in the countryside that came in with their militia and wiped them out. Uh, Hitler rode that wave to power. And then uh, because of his weird kind of ideology, he could not focus the two main groups in this country, the two main groups responsible for preserving the moral order, which were the Catholics and the Protestants, couldn't bring them together. And so he said, well, I'll, I'll go pagan. And so he tried to do it with Wagner, and that led to uh, disaster. He soon was infected by the American eugenics movement. Uh, Madison Grant was the idea, the man, the American, who gave him all his ideas about race. 
uh, when he started using the term race, nobody knew what he was talking about because their germ, their term for the people or an ethnic group or a group was folk. And suddenly he's talking about Rasse. They, they spelled it R-A-C-E. No German knew how to pronounce it. This is Wilhelm Schmidt's uh, uh, description of what was happening at that time. And so eventually got into trouble because he started implementing the American eugenics program by basically uh, uh, eliminating the unfit Leben und Wertes Leben. And at that point, he incurred the anger of the Catholic Church. Bishop Graf von Gallen, who was the lion, a giant, the lion of uh, Münster, a giant in every sense of the word, uh, what about uh, about six foot five and weighed about 300 pounds. He could have been a linebacker for the uh, New York Giants. Uh, condemned Hitler's eugenics program, and he was too powerful for Hitler to do anything about, even though Hitler had sent a lot of bishops to, to jail, uh, not to jail, to Dachau, the concentration camp. The papers, so Magnus Hirschfeld uh, saw which way it was going. He left town with his Chinese boyfriend, and the Germans broke into the Institute for Sexualwissenschaft and burned what they could. And what they couldn't eventually ended up over here in the files of the uh, Kinsey Institute in University of Indiana. And that man, Kinsey, continued the same type of sexual moral subversion in the name of science. So there's a direct connection between Weimar and what happened here. There's a direct connection between the Jewish subversion of morals in the Weimar Republic and the rise of Hitler. And there's a direct connection between the Jewish subversion of morals in the United States over this period of time. Beginning in 1965, when the Jews, Hollywood Jews broke the production code and got nudity on the screen, we have a, 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 a continuous trajectory of moral subversion driven by Jewish interests, beginning with pornography, which was Jewish, leading to abortion, which we now know is a Jewish sacrament, and so on and so forth. The reaction is going to come. It's coming. I am uh, proposing a peaceful reaction because I'm a Catholic, and as a Catholic, I believe that we should love our enemies. Uh, there were Catholics at the time in Germany who proposed, Georg Ratzinger was one of them, the great uncle of uh, uh, Pope Benedict XVI. He proposed a peaceful solution, and because the people ignored him, because the church did not follow up on it, uh, Germany got a violent solution, a very violent solution. So that's what we have to work to. Every time you engage in some type of dialogue where you attempt to hold the Jews accountable, for the destruction of the moral order in the United States of America, you are doing God's work because, and you're also working for peace. So don't let anyone tell you anything different. All right, uh, to the next question here, let's go with uh, Sectic Astronomy. Go ahead. Astronomy. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Oh, in fine velocior, Dr. Jones. Yes, things speed up at the end. That's all I have to say. Uh, love your work and stay safe and God bless. Thank you. Cool. All right. Uh, 
let's see. Next, we have Amy Smith. Here we go. All right, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jones. Um, I was just asked about uh, the Incan uh, conquest, I guess you could say, and what role the church had in that. You've spoken about the Aztecs before. I tried to consult different of your books. Maybe it's in the the Jewish revolutionary spirit, but what would you recommend for a good take on what the church's role or responsibility would be in that? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the conquest of Mexico has been written up by many people. It's much more, uh, a much more dramatic story. Uh, the sides are much clearer. And to be honest with you, I don't know the details of the Incan conquest. You're welcome. All right. Uh, next we have, let's see, uh, Lusa D. Luca? Luca D? Go ahead. Uh, hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Yes. So um, I have a question for you. It's a little reflection. Um, uh, I'm an Italian living in the United States. So th this really... Uh, you know, touches the, the different experience I come from. Because, you know, you've talked many times about um, conservatism being a failed ideology. And m I have a question is, how can conservatives resolve this obsession with seeing any state intervention as one opening to socialism or even worse, communism? And this in spite of, uh, you know, current events basically being driven by you know, private entities, if not individuals, like, you know, if we think of George Soros, that have completely taken over the public sphere. So right. my question for you is why conservatives do not do um, not understand that they have to elaborate a culture that goes back to the polis, right. the Greek sense of it, right. as the necessity to engage in the public thing, rather than giving just value to private disengagement from, uh, you know, whatever is relatable to the state. Yeah. Thank that, you. That's a good. That's a good point. It takes uh, an Italian. It takes someone from Europe to uh, see understand this from the outside, uh, which is a, conservatism is basically an English ideology. It doesn't really have any purchase on the mind of other countries in Europe, and I'm talking about Germany, where it had no purchase. France, any of these countries, it's an Anglo thing. Okay. Now that being said, we have people. Uh, it was created at a specific period in time. And the period in time was basically after World War II. And it was created with a number of uh, uh, purposes in mind. First of all, it had to obliterate any memory of America first, which meant uh, American promotion of uh, its own interest, uh, nationalism. That was a bad word now because of Mussolini, all those people. Uh, and also uh, it had to... Uh, eliminate any type of uh, reference to uh, economics that was in the interest of the nation. Now, this got all got bad. Mussolini is the classic example. Aminatori Fanfani wrote a book at the time, influenced by uh, Quadragesimo Anno, which had a huge influence in Italy and was some, in some sense co-opted by people like uh, Mussolini, co-opted by, uh, by the, uh, uh, the guy who took over uh, Argentina. Uh, all of these people, 
they it was not properly implemented. It became it came into uh, have bad associations, largely because of American propaganda that was promoting uh, for capitalism. It's that simple. And once fascism was defeated, anything associated uh, other than capitalism, any other economic theory was bad. And that's precisely the role that uh, conservatism took when it adopted America's aggressive foreign policy. Now it's going to spread capitalism throughout the world. But the other important thing is that the 40s, after World War II, socialism was the regnant ideology in England. It had taken over. Socialism is the, I've said this before, it's the pus that the body politic produces when it comes down with the sickness known as capitalism. So it's always a reaction against capitalism. And it always kind of misses the mark because it, it doesn't have firm principles. It's purely a reactive thing. So this allowed people like uh, Hayek and the Austrian school to write books like The Servile State, which attacked uh, uh, basically socialism as they saw it in England which was way over, England went bankrupt thanks to Winston Churchill's obsession with defeating Germany in war. It went bankrupt at this time. They were completely, and when, you, when you're talking about uh, the period right before the end of the war, when Churchill goes to Quebec, he is a beggar and beggars can't be choosers. And so he hates the idea, even Winston Churchill, had enough moral fiber to understand that the Morgenthau plan was Jewish vengeance and that the people's decent people have no part in it. But he had to back down because they were paupers and they had to beg Morgenthau, beg the Jew Morgenthau for money to keep England afloat at that time. This was the advantage that the people like the Austrian school, uh, Jews like Murray Rothbard, who adopted the Austrian school principles, uh, the state was overextended at this point, and they used this as a leverage to say the state is bad. Well, that's totally stupid. That's totally stupid, and it's a stupid ideology, and uh, I, I, I think it's, it's lost whatever credibility it was. I, I was in uh, Estonia, and Hans Hermann Hoppe, who gave a lecture, and he said, we don't need government. All we need are insurance companies. At that point, one of the Estonians says, well, what happens if the insurance company doesn't pay? Hoppe, this was an incredibly stupid thing to say, because if you're saying that the, if you're saying the insurance company is the last appeal, the court of ultimate appeal, then the insurance company is the government. You cannot do without government. And people who say you can are working for the oligarchs. They are working for the rich. And they want to knock down any social prohibition or any moral prohibition that inhibits the rich from doing whatever they damn well please. That's what conservatism is. That's what libertarianism is. And it got worse over this period of time and found expression in people like Margaret Thatcher, who felt justified in attacking the coal miners in a particularly ruthless way and hiding the fact, the fundamental fact of life, which even Adam Smith had admitted, which is that labor is the source of all value. We have to get back to these fundamental principles. That's why I wrote my book, Barren Metal, a, a history of the conflict between 
labor and usury. That's the conflict. That's the fundamental economic conflict in the world. And nothing has changed. Capitalism is state-sponsored usury. That's why we are going to through one more financial crisis, because if usury is the basis for your economy, you're always going to reach the point where you have unrepayable debt. And there's no way out of that other than uh, looting or debasing the currency. So I hope that clarifies how this ideology came into being. Yes, thank you for your uh, very elaborate response as usual. Very clear. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, next, we have Aquarius guy. Go ahead. Don't forget to unmute. Aquarius guy. Oh, got it. Sorry. Good afternoon, Dr. Jones. I came late, so I apologize if you already spoke to this, but I was wondering what your thoughts about the Trump indictment are. Um, is it just more of the same BS or is there some deep 3D chess going on? It's opened the door for indictments of the really bad guys. I hear a lot of noise in the uh, social media. So I was wondering what your thoughts were. It's uh, Trump derangement syndrome. There is no crime here that I can discern. Uh, you've got this. Uh, the fundamental problem right now with law enforcement is Jewish control of our system. Uh, this man, this prosecutor in New York is a Soros prosecutor, one of many Soros prosecutors who does, does who, his final allegiance is to George Soros, the billionaire, the Jewish billionaire, and his money as the source of their power, uh, as opposed to the Constitution of the United States, which what these people are supposed to be uh, uh, supporting. I have already talked about Merrick Garland as a, an a, a example of this. Uh, the conclusion, I think, uh, is clear. Okay, that this people like this uh, should not have public office. If you're taking Soros money, you should be disqualified from public office. I'm going to take that even further. I talked about this the last time. I don't think Jews are capable of holding public office in the United States of America. This was the wisdom of the West, uh, which was unanimous. The Jews could not be citizens in any country, principality in Europe. And the man who broke that first was Napoleon, uh, who granted them citizenship. And within week, months of doing that, realized that he made a mistake when the people started talking about the Jews uh, exploiting their advantage now as citizens. If anything proves this, it is the Biden administration where you have enough Jews to have a minion, which is the min Jews, number of Jews needed to have a prayer service at the synagogue. The Jews bragged about this at the beginning of the Biden administration, and now we're starting to see the bitter fruit of this. Okay, you have a group of people who cannot represent the people of the United States of America. They are constitutionally incapable of representing the interest of the people of the United States of America because they regard them as goyim, which is somehow subhuman. Because they cannot do this, everything they do is involves complicity in some type of Jewish scheme. The main Jewish scheme at this moment is the war in the Ukraine. Zelensky is a Jew who was put into power by uh, the Jew Kolomoisky, the, the Ukrainian oligarch, and the Jews at the State Department, people like Victoria Nuland married to Robert Kagan, the Kagan family, the notorious neoconservative uh, warmongers. 
Okay. That's Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is grilled by Josh Hawley. Why are why are you going after pro-lifers? Why are you going after Catholics? He couldn't close that uh, close the circle there. Is it because uh, abortion is a fundamental Jewish value? What we're seeing here is the attorney general enforces, imposes the Jewish religion on the United States of America as soon as you put him in office. And then uh, one day uh, after that, the uh, SPLC uh, lawyer is arrested. He's, he's uh, Antifa. Call Merrick Garland back. Well, no, I can't call him back because he's out of the country. Well, where is he? He's in the Ukraine. What's he doing in the Ukraine? The attorney general has no business being in the Ukraine. Well, he's collaborating with another Jew by the name of Zelensky on one of their favorite projects, which involves the, the, the fighting to the last drop of Ukrainian blood so that the Jews, Jews like Larry Fink at BlackRock can take over the country, buy it up for pennies on the dollar. Now, wait a minute. We'll get Janet Yellen on the phone. Well, we can't get her on the phone because she's in the Ukraine too. Another uh, Jewish lady, what's she doing in the Ukraine? She's giving Zelensky more money. What about Anthony Blinken? Well, another Jew, he, he uh, has relatives who died in the Holocaust. He can't talk. He can't talk to Lavrov. He opens every conversation with, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust, and then he issues ultimatum. This is a, a diplomat who can't engage in diplomacy, who has, to, uh, again, one of the pillars of this catastrophic Jewish project known as the war in the Ukraine. I'm sorry I got uh, uh, carried away here, but they're my feelings. Yeah, I have a, a quick follow-up comment. Uh, I asked ChatGPT why Jews have so much power, and it said, first, it's racist to ask that question. Two, it's because they're really smart, and if they're all Jews, it's just a coincidence. That's right. That, was that, is, that is exactly, answer. if you needed anything to refute the myth of artificial intelligence, it's exactly that, okay? That machine, that machine, that machine was programmed to say that because the Jews control every narrative uh, in this country right now. That's that's the myth of artificial intelligence. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah AI is a neutral tool, but the people who own the tool and who choose the training data control the narrative. Or the absolutely, narrative controls absolutely. That training. No machine. Yeah. First of all, you in order to. Uh, uh, to say, uh, answer a question, you have to be able to prioritize. In order to prioritize, you have to be able to understand the good and say, this is better than that. No machine can do that. The only way a machine can do that is if the people program the response into it. And that's exactly what you saw when you asked uh, uh, the robot uh, to say something about the Jews. You're welcome. All right, uh, let's do uh, one more and then get to the chat. Okay. All right, okay. Let's, uh, who we got here? Uh, Ro, you're going to be the last verbal question of the day. Go ahead, Ro. Don't forget to unmute. R-O. Oh, sorry. Yeah, unmuting. Hello. 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 Uh, Dr. Jones, uh, just a short question. Uh, I, I recall reading... I maybe 15 or 20 years ago about the origin of the term hate speech. And my recollection is that it was uh, the winner of an essay competition, possibly sponsored by SP, 
SPLC or ADL. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but there was like a $10,000 that stuck in my head as the prize. But I haven't been able to research it because it's such a, a huge uh, number of responses. I've checked a lot of times. I'm just wondering, do you know anything about that? That's where the term well, possibly I, originated. No, I, I know. We know it, it originated with the ADL because they have bragged about this. You can go on there. You type in hate speech ADL. They'll give you a long story about how they are the ones who came up with the idea. Now, whether it was a contest or not, I don't know. I don't, I, that's the first time I'm hearing that story. I would be surprised if it were a contest. They have people inside. Uh, this was imposed on the Internet. Uh, that's where that's where they made the public statement uh, that the ADL is uh, responsible for creating the term. Hate speech means anything the ADL doesn't like. Now, why are these people, that, this is an organization that got started to defend a child molester and murderer by the name of Leo Frank, and it's gone downhill ever since that time. So why do these people have so much power? And to get back to my uh, question about libertarianism, why is it the government protecting its own people against this Jewish predatory organization? Second question, why isn't the church protecting Catholics against these Jewish predators? Why is it every time a bishop opens his mouth on this topic, it's always to defend the Jews against this imaginary anti-Semitism? These are questions that have to be answered. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, now is the part of the show where we go to questions uh, via text. And usually how I do this is I'll hit a couple on Telegram and then let Cozy uh, have uh, finish off us off the rest of the night. So guys and Cozy, start asking those questions. Telegram, I'm going to go to chat and let's see what you guys got. Um, let's see, from Estefania, uh, question, uh, how far do you think LGBTQ Q terrorism will expand in the West. It will expand as far as the uh, law enforcement agencies will allow it to expand. It's that simple. If you've got Merrick Garland as the attorney general, there are going to be no limits to the expansion of LGBT terrorism. He will not prosecute this. The uh, transgenderism is a Jewish project. It's a Jewish sacrament like abortion, and Jews are not going to uh, are not going to prosecute people. They, don't, they won't do that, okay? The short, the specific answer to the question of how that's going to happen is what's going to happen tomorrow on the day of vengeance? What is going to happen? These people are, these are this is a terrorist organization. They've already shown that they're willing to kill innocent people. Uh, the government should break up whatever organization it is because they've shown that they're terrorists and willing to kill people. Uh, what are they going to do tomorrow? Is the FBI going to get involved in this? Or is the FBI just to go after uh, uh, people that Merrick Garland doesn't like? Good question. Um, from the Cheddaring, uh, did the Rothschilds loan to the Holy See influence many of the church's stance on controversial issues for the past couple hundred years? All right. If you want the answer to the long answer to that question, uh, I suggest reading Barra Metal. Uh, uh, and and uh, the the first uh, the beginning of bankers involved with the Vatican were the Medici. Uh, they had influence. Uh, they were replaced by the Fuggers uh, uh, from Augsburg, the German family. They had huge influence at the time of the Reformation. And then uh, you have eventually the rise of the Rothschild family, beginning with uh, the 
march of Napoleon through the German principalities when the Prince of Hesse Castle, um, the Prince of Hesse Castle basically gives Meyer Amschel Rothschild his fortune for safekeeping. He sends it over to his son, Nathan. Nathan bets the farm on the console uh, and wins a ton of money. He, he made the right move, got a ton of money, and then he starts to finance the English aristocracy as they build uh, big houses in the country. That's the story as I know it. I do not know of loans to the Holy See. You're out, I'm, uh, I just don't know it. That's the way I saw it. I can tell you what I know. I can't tell you about what I don't know. The, I can tell you that the Rothschild family had huge influence in England at this point, and that one of the families that fell into its clutches was the Churchill family. Uh, Randolph Churchill died 70,000 pounds in debt to Natty Rothschild, and they used uh, Winston, his son, as their agent after forgiving that debt. That's the story of the Churchill family that led to World War One and World War Two. That's the story as I know it. All right, next question. This is kind of a curveball in a way uh, from MZ. Uh, question. <clears throat> it is on subject. If if human is able to produce a fetus from two men of the same sex, and womb is created in the body of one then the soul will be breathed into the body of that person. This person says they're from Iran. Okay. The, the, the soul comes into being the moment the male seed meets the female ovum. So you can't have two men. You, you can't have two sperm creating human life. That's impossible. Let's let me clarify this. The soul is the form of the body. Every animate being has a soul. The, the potato that you throw into the fryer has a soul. It's got a potato soul because it's a living thing. An animal has a soul. It's capable of movement because of that internal principle. The difference is that man has an immortal soul. That soul comes into being when the ovum meets the sperm. If it's too sperm, the human being cannot come into being. So it's impossible. No soul can form under those conditions. All right. Uh, time to jump to Cozy. Here we are. Um, from, uh, oh, that's a simple one. Uh, from Birdwatcher on Cozy. Uh, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite bird? Favorite bird? Yeah. Not on subject, but good question, I guess. Do I have to have a favorite bird? Um uh, I would have to think long and hard about that. I've often, I've always wanted to have a parrot, but what's that got to do with anything? Anyway, um, let me think about it. All right. We trumped him. We finally got him, guys. All right. From Jake Paul, <clears throat> E. Michael Jones, uh, who would you vote for in a perfect world, yay or Trump? <laughs> if the world were perfect, neither of those people would be running for president. All right. Uh, Kingfish AF, E. Michael Jones, uh, when are hospitals finally going to ban routine infant circumcision? Routine what? Infant circumcision. I don't know. Don't ask me. When uh, it depends on how you construe the issue, but that's something I don't know. Don't know. I can't answer that question. All right. Got some, got, got some Trumps here on the 
Trump questions here on Cozy. Uh, from Post No Bills, question. What is the end goal of the Jewish revolutionary spirit in the present day? Total control. The establishment of the, uh, the Jewish hegemony over the entire world when they rebuild the temple and uh, create the reign of the Antichrist. Now, that's a theological answer to the question. The other side of it, now, it was not the theological Jews who were prime, the prime movers behind the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It was, there was a messianic type of politics. So if you go back to like Simon Bar Kokhba, I think that's exactly what uh, they wanted to do. And God punished them by bringing about the exact opposite, not with Simon Bar Kokhba, but in 70, when they aspired to some type of universal kingdom, uh, God allowed Rome to destroy their temple, which means they have no priesthood, no sacrifice, and no temple. Now, uh, at a certain point, uh, there was a split in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It was after Simon Bar Kokhba. Simon Bar Kokhba was, was a religious, uh, you call him a Zionist revolutionary. Uh, uh, at a certain point, this I'm talking about the thesis of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Shabbatai Zivi uh, became recognized by every single synagogue in Europe as the Messiah. The Jews were selling their houses. They were going to uh, Turkey to basically be there when the uh, Zivi took the turban from the caliph's head and it didn't happen. He became a Muslim. That was a tremendous shock to the Jewish community. And at that point, they went into a state of total isolation. The Hasidim, this is the rise of the Hasidim, the pious Jews who inhabited the shtetl, who didn't want to have anything to do with worldly concerns. That changed when uh, Russia became the home of the Pale of the Settlement and revolutionary, secular revolutionary uh, ideologies like Marxism and socialism started coming through. And that's been the secular uh, arm of uh, basically the Jewish revolutionary spirit up to this day. And transgenderism is an expression of that revolutionary idea that is now gone metaphysical. And there's uh, we have a war against being. So this is going to be extremely violent and extremely short-lived because you can't have something this out of contact with reality surviving any lengthy period of time. Awesome. Uh, next on Cozy, uh, what does EMJ think of Rene Girard? Nothing. Haven't read him. I have to. I keep saying to myself, I have to read this guy because everybody keeps asking me questions and I, I'm sorry, I can't give you an opinion. All right. Uh, from Cozy, from uh, Triz, uh, Dr. Jones, how long do you think the Jewish stronghold on Ukraine will last? The uh, As we speak, uh, Bakhmut has fallen. The Russians have taken over Bakhmut, which is a crucial rail uh, center of rail, transportation, mining, all, all sorts of important things. Uh, that was the main bulwark. Zelensky made the mistake of defending it to the last Ukrainian, so he lost hundreds of thousands of troops in a futile attempt to uh, postpone the inevitable. The inevitable has happened. Uh, how this thing progresses, 
there are some things that are inevitable. Russia is going to win the war. They probably already have pretty much won the war as of now. They have destroyed uh, three Ukrainian armies. They've destroyed billions of dollars of military equipment. The Ukrainians are desperate. They know the Zelensky has proven that he doesn't know anything about warfare, that he's willing, completely ruthless and willing to sacrifice lives of soldiers to achieve impossible ends. That can't go on. Now, at this point, the negotiations should start. But when you have a Jew who's in charge of your State Department, they don't believe in negotiation. He doesn't know how to talk. And so this war will continue until we have someone replacing this guy, as far as I can tell. We have to get these people, pry their fingers off the steering wheel, off the levers of power, before they drive this car off the cliff. That's where we're headed right now. Now, there's, I just got independent confirmation from one of my Russian sources that that story about the missile strike uh, that was uh, a while back, big missile strike, one of them was one of these Kinjal missiles, which is a hypersonic missile, and it was reported that it took out the NATO headquarters outside of Kiev. Well, this report is saying that's true. That's what happened. Now, if that is the case, they have, the Russians have a weapon to which the United States cannot respond. They lost their entire command, uh, NATO command post there. It was 400 feet below ground, and that Kinjal missile hit it at 10 times the speed of sound, went right down through the ground, and exploded when it hit the, uh, the headquarters, and all those people died. The United States has no response. The United States, NATO, has no defense against this kind of weapon. At this point, someone is going to, some, one of the adults in the room is going to have to step forward and say, we can't have these people negotiating for us because they don't know how to negotiate. Now, how that is going to happen, I don't know. Because you've got this doddering old man there who can't even walk in a straight line, who is obviously being controlled by the Jewish minion that he appointed as his cabinet members and leading this country toward disaster. Now, when, uh, uh, how do you, how do you, and uh, assuming maybe in two years there will be a change and you'll have uh, uh, adults, responsible people taking over the levers of power when Biden gets driven from office, by then uh, it will be too late. The war will be over uh, and all we can do is pray that the, the lunatics who are running the Pentagon will not uh, segue into uh, a nuclear exchange to cover over the fact that they lost the war because of their stupidity. All right, uh, Dr. Jones, kind of top of the hour. A couple more? One more question. One more? All right, uh, from uh, Pablo. Pablo asks, uh, what is your opinion of Franco? Franco. Franco saved uh, Spain from the communists. Uh, he is now uh, public enemy number one because the socialists have taken over uh, America. I'm sorry, taken over Spain. Uh, there's an interesting, you know, we talk about, uh, there was a man by the name of Daniel Jonah Goldhagen who tried to make a case that uh, the Catholic Church was uh, fascist and was responsible for the Holocaust. 
missing from that discussion, he focused obviously on Hitler and Germany. Hitler was not acting like a Catholic. I've already explained to you what, what, what was going on there. If you had a situation where the Catholic Church was in control, it was Spain. During this period of time, after they won the war, they were in complete control. And what did the Spaniards do to the Jews? What did Franco do to the Jews? Nothing. Nothing. Even though he was, he was freeing the country from the Bolsheviks, which was a Jewish operation, there was no retaliation against the Jews. So he's been demonized by all of the same people uh, who have led us into this mess that we have in this country right now. All right. Well, there we are. That's the end of the show, guys. Thanks again. Uh, once again, EMJ Live is every Friday at 5 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, subscribe to the magazine at culturewars.com. Get the books at fidelitypress.org. Dangers of Beauty is still out. Uh, that's our newest book. Subscribe to Telegram, The Cozy. Our live streams are now on Rumble and Odyssey. Those are backups. And if you like those platforms more, you can watch them. And then Doc, should, should I make the announcement about the 14th, our plans for the 14th? Do you want to make that announcement? We're going to have a symposium on beauty with uh, Rachel Fulton Brown from the University of Chicago. And if we can get a hold of him, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. As, as far as I know, we have gotten a hold okay. of him. Okay. So tune in. We'll have a discussion of beauty on the 14th of April. There, there we are. And uh, I guess those are the announcements. Did, did you happen to uh, think of what your favorite bird was, Dr. Jones? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think it over. I'll All get right. back to you on this one. All right. Well, any last words? Motus in fine velocior, as our correspondent, as one of the people quoting. Things speed up at the end. So the faster things go, the more we know the end is approaching. And God is in charge of human history, so we can hope for a good end here. There you are. Thanks, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week, and have a happy Holy Week. God bless.